Men are not being validated in their unique role and responsibility as the spiritual leader in their family. And it is because, I, I gotta tell you from my personal experience, never, not once in a homily on Sunday, not once have I heard a priest say, you men, you are called to be the spiritual leaders of your family to protect, to provide, to be the priest, the bishop of your family. You are called to sacrifice for your family in order to lead them to heaven, not once. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us in another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are so blessed that you are here. We are your hosts, Sam Guzman, Devin Shad, and myself, John Heinen. Devin is our new co-host on the show. We're so blessed that he's decided to join us, that he's been willing to share with us his his wisdom, his knowledge, and his passion for helping better the lives of men and bring clarity to the hearts of men. So Devin is the executive director of Father St. Joseph. He's a close friend of ours, a friend of the Catholic Gentleman, and is now a, an official co-host on the Catholic Gentleman. Devin, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing good, besides being a little under the weather. So if it sounds like I'm going through puberty, it's because I'm not. I'm actually sick. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you and, sound more manly than ever, Devin. That's yeah. right. It's, it's a richer masculinity. <laughs> So, hey, so if this is your first time joining us, why don't you hit that subscribe button? If you've joined us a handful of times, uh, we'd love it if you gave us a review or at least gave us a five stars on both Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Both of those help expand the algorithm, reach more men. If you are looking for some place to support and more importantly, looking for uh, an opportunity to grow deeper in holiness and understanding your God-given masculinity and how to do so and understand life, head over to catholicgentlemanplus.com. We have a monthly subscription and an annual subscription. Every month we're coming out with courses. Every month we're coming out with new eBooks. Every month we're coming out with challenges and prayer challenges. And um, we're just so blessed to be able to offer this. Uh, this month only, if you sign up for an annual subscription, uh, the Catholic Woodworker has been so blessed to give us these rosaries. Here's these awesome Benedictine exclusive St. Michael rosaries just for the Catholic gentlemen. They're handmade here in America. They're pretty awesome. You're also going to get our new book of quotes that we came, an actual tangible book, a leather keychain, a prayer card, and all the stuff that we have coming inside. So head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus. And so that I don't forget, we come out with a longer, more extensive edition of this episode every week in Catholic Gentleman Plus. So if you like what we're offering and you want to go deeper into that subject or others, definitely head over there and check it out. So today we decided to talk about fathers, we need you to preach on this, what we men really want to hear from our priests. And I felt inspired by this uh, theme and this topic primarily because what inspired me to do the work here at Catholic Gentlemen, to join Sam and to be a part of this ministry here at the Catholic Gentlemen. And when I've reflected on this a lot, there, there's certainly that high ideal and that sort of lofty narrative, if you will, of just helping lives of men and transforming lives of men. But if we get real personal and I get real honest, it's because I never had these mm -hmm. things growing up. I had a great dad. I'm not saying that, but he didn't have this stuff and his grandfather didn't have this stuff. And we didn't understand what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a father, what it meant to actually live that out today and how the world is in need of that. I never heard that at, at church. I never understood that. And as I've been going through more and more in my growth and maturity in, in life, 
I constantly come back to this, oh my goodness, if I only had this when I was younger, if I was only able to understand why I have these temptations, why I have the this concupiscence, right? What that is, like, I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> and and understand that it's always kind of this, this, these, um, wow, this is this is so filling, this is so healing, this is so necessary for my life. And as such, I wish men had this more. So we felt really called to bring that up today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I can relate to that completely, um, growing up, I didn't have a vision for what it meant to be a man. You know, I thought being a man was playing sports and getting women and, you know, being the guy who can drink the most beer at the parties. And so it was a very distorted version of masculinity or to be able to fight and to be able to win at those fights. Um, and so that was kind of the atmosphere that I grew up and believed in. But I, what really frustrated me though, is after I became a Christian, after I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ fully, or as much, I would say the decision was full to follow him. I realized that the church was very silent in this area. There were no church documents. You know, there's plenty of church documents on woman, on the blessed Virgin Mary, on how to be a woman, the, the dignity and the feminine genius of woman, but there isn't anything on man, masculinity or being a man. And that just really, I mean, to be honest, that got underneath my skin a little bit. It really frustrated me because I was looking for the answers and I'm like, wait, I have to dissect the entire catechism or I have to dissect the entire summa to try to figure out what it really means at its core to be a man. So that set me as well on this trajectory to find, find that. What does it really mean to be a man? Is it, does it involve fatherhood, spiritual fatherhood? But I think really what really frustrated me more than anything was why isn't this proclaimed from our pulpits you know we have a captive audience we have the men who are closest to god they've learned more through seminary than we have they're more intimate with god or at least should be because of their prayer life and the sacrifice of the mass why aren't they relating to us and communicating to us this awesome privilege this chosen responsibility of being a man on you know, a man for God, you know, a man who is basically laying down his life for his bride and his family. So anyway, I, I can totally relate. Yeah, me, me as well, you know, and then honestly, the Catholic gentleman really grew out of that frustration with the lack of resources for Catholic men and understanding what it meant to be a man. I mean, I started Catholic gentleman when I was just a very, very young man myself and was still trying to figure out what it meant. And, you know, when I had my first son, um, you know, it was really the same year that I started Catholic Gentleman because it hit, hit me like, I am a father now. What does that mean? You know, and what does that demand of me? And what are my responsibilities? And, you know, all of these things that uh, hmm. all were called forth by the act of like, first of all, getting married. But, but yeah, I think it really hit home when I had that first child. And I think, um, What's important, I think, to realize is, is that preaching really is important. You know, I grew up in a Protestant context where really all you have on a Sunday morning is preaching for like an hour. So it was really kind of coming at things from uh, a mindset that preaching really is kind of the central act of a Sunday morning. Um, and, you know, we don't expect an hour long sermon from Father on Sunday mornings by any means. And yet I think sometimes in the Catholic context, we've lost sight of the power of proclaiming these truths. Um, you know, homilies go back all the way to the earliest centuries of the church. 
you know, you have St. John Chrysostom and, you know, the golden tongue and like some of these great early church fathers, they would preach probably for an hour or more, you know, in a three hour liturgy yeah. that's already three hours. You know, it's like, you know, they, they took it seriously though, and they didn't neglect it. And there was this awareness that, Yes, the liturgy, the work of the people, the, the work of worship and, and the sacrifice that's taking place on the altar is, is the central act of worship. Yes. Um, but there's also this, we can't lose sight of the fact that faith comes by hearing, you know, and it is important for someone to expound the scriptures to us. You know, like you just drop a Bible in someone's lap and it's, let's be honest, it's a big, long, confusing book with all these stories and like, but not just stories, but epistles. And like, you know, the book of revelation is like, Whoa, what's going on there. And like, there can be a, it can be a lot of work to interpret and understand the scriptures. And, and that's a beautiful thing, but also we need someone to guide us and instruct us in these truths. And that is the role of um, the Sunday sermon. And I think that it's, we can't lose sight of that as Catholics, even though the Eucharist and that's that sacrifice, that celebration is the most important um, there is this aspect of the liturgy of the word and expounding that is also a powerful thing. So, um, yeah, we, we need that instruction. We need that guidance. Um, so. Yeah, agreed. And I think we're seeing the results of not having that guidance for many generations in our pews, right? We see this huge, stark decline of Catholicism here in America. We see this um, drop off of active participating men at any Catholic parish here in America, we see uh, this this um, you know um, just lack and void of leadership within the church as a result of all these things because you know boys in general aren't growing up to become men right they have this perpetual state of adolescence right and I I don't I like sharing this that adolescence is a word that came out in a uh, hundred years ago basically to define this interim period between uh young adulthood and actual becoming an adult uh basically because the workforce in our education education system uh gave this uh, prolonged dependency on parents for children. And so then that adolescence just continues to go and go and go. And I mean, I brought this up when I was doing some research um, over a year ago that, you know, we're even in a society now that young boys are being affirmed for this perpetual adolescence to just do it their way, to choose it their way, to do what they want to do and when they want to do it and not let other people. And that's unfortunately seeped its way into the church. And so whether it's coming from the church or seeped its way into the church and the church is not doing anything to to combat it is an issue. And we're seeing that. And I just um, want to bring that up. Yeah. yeah I, go uh, ahead, Sam. So, sorry, Devin. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Sam, go. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, I think this is essential for us as Catholics because the structure of the church, the hierarchy of the church, is very masculine in the sense that it's all men, right? <laughs> like it's, you know, and and um, obviously, yes, like St. John Paul II and many others have spent a lot of time affirming the role of women in the church. Um, and, and yet, you know, we are representing fatherhood every time a priest walks out in public or anytime anyone steps into a Catholic church, they're supposed to be getting 
an icon of God the Father, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, how many times has the church failed to present that? And I think it's important to acknowledge that priests are human beings, and maybe they're not even, they, they've never fully matured into the men that they need to be. So what I think is important to acknowledge is, Father, it starts with you. Like, you have to take your manhood seriously, your masculinity seriously, you know, and you need to be studying and, and, and acting and being taught and guided yourself uh, on that road of manhood, you know, just, just getting, you know, I, we, we, I'm not saying this to be in any way disrespectful, but just getting a Roman collar doesn't make you a man. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be developing yourself and growing in your own spiritual fatherhood so that you can represent faithfully and honestly what fatherhood is supposed to be in our culture. So please priests, like, please take your own masculine development seriously so that you can lead and guide your flock more effectively because, you know, men are watching your example. Um, and I think this is, you know, we're not here to like reprimand or correct priests, but I do want to encourage in that direction because, um, you know, it, it, like I said, men are looking to you for your example, for your leadership in things like sacrifice in proclaiming the truth you know, in standing up against the errors of our time and things like that, we're like, lead the way. We, we, we prayerfully are asking you as lay people to please lead the way in this regard. Um, so, yeah, there's no shortcuts to masculinity, whatever your vocation may be. So, yeah, please lead and guide us in that. Yeah, that's really great. I think that priests have perhaps one of the most difficult vocations. I mean, they adopt a family that's not their own. I mean, if we could put ourselves in that situation, you know, there's a family down the road and I end up having to adopt them. They're not my own. And then I need to love each of those family members as though they're my own child. That's what a priest is supposed to do with his parish. And, you know, then he's dealing with the polarizing political views of each of these individuals and and how they impact his parish. And I think a lot of priest because of this i remember one time um this priest was going his homily was going right toward the evils of contraception and it was like just like he turned on a dime he stopped he caught himself and i said to him afterwards i said father it was obvious you were going to talk about the evils of contraception he said devin we got to keep the lights on and i just was i was just so mortified by that statement and so how do we keep the lights on? I think this is a that's a very important point. How do we keep the lights on in the parish? If you get dad, if you get the man, you get his wife. If you get the, the man and the wife, you get the children, you get the family. And if you get the family, you get other families. That's how you keep the lights on. That's how you keep the tithing rolling in. And you know, the stats prove this hands down. I think it, yes. what is it? What is it like? Um, children, dads, let's see, dads have twice as much power or influence than mom in helping their teens stave off premarital sex. Columbia researchers found that uh, children from two-parent households who have a strained relationship with their father are 68% more likely to use drugs and alcohol and fall into premarital sex. Mm. And I, I think that there was like, like the poverty level of absent dads and families. So poverty level is almost 50%. Graduation rate, if dad is there, it's 70%. You know, the kids are going to graduate high school. Um, if the mom is the first to convert to Christianity, there's a 17% probability that the family will follow. But if the dad is the first to convert to Christianity, there's a 93% probability that the family will follow. So if if I am a priest and I want my parish to thrive and I want to be alive and I do want the money to come in so I can keep the lights on and I want to have great parish groups, what am I going to do? I need to go after that guy. 
I need to get him and I need to empower him and I need to talk to him from the pulpit. And I think this is the key. <clears throat> Men are not being validated in their unique role and responsibility as the spiritual leader in their family. And it is because I, I got to tell you from my personal experience, never, not once in a homily on Sunday, not once have I heard a priest say, you men, you are called to be the spiritual leaders of your family to protect, to provide, to be the priest, the bishop of your family. You are called to sacrifice for your family in order to lead them to heaven. Not once. In all the, and I go to daily mass. I mean, all the homilies, I've only heard it once. And I'm not talking about men's conferences and men's retreats because that's when the priest becomes brave because he's got a whole bunch of men. He can tell them what to do. But it's in front of the women that I think that we have a problem. And it's because of radical feminism. Let's just call a spade a spade. Yeah. So, I mean, and if you look at where is the gun pointed? Um, and I, I can stop talking here, but remember That's Kate Millett, she was one of the foundresses of now the new organization women in the late 1960s. And she would have these rallies all over the United States. And she would begin her rallies by with the following chant formula. She'd say, why are we here today to create a revolution? What kind of a revolution? The cultural revolution. That's Marxism. How do we create the cultural revolution? By destroying the American family, which is supposed to be an icon of the Trinity. Yeah. You know, to reflect and reveal God. How do we destroy the American family? By destroying the American patriarch. That's dad. How do you destroy the American patriarch? By taking away his power. How do you destroy his power? By destroying monogamy. How do you destroy monogamy? By introducing pornography, homosexuality, sexual permissiveness, and uh, prostitution. And, and welcome to the world we live in. The gun is pointed at the man. So if the evil one has his gun pointed at the father of the family to destroy the church... Where should we as priests be preaching? I think at least once a month, call them out, talk to them about their role and responsibility, give them the, the power or the, uh, the knowledge, or at least the incentive to do it. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I couldn't be more excited about this topic because it is something that we need to hear about why men were created, you know, anthropo anthropologically, biologically, you know, and <laughs> most importantly, um, theologically. And, you know, from scripture, it can all be pro proven. And this is so important for us men to hear these things. I remember the first time that I learned that Adam was created in the dirt and that Eve was created from his rib in the garden and that Adam was there to protect her, protect her in the garden, who was created out in the wilderness, out in the rough. I remember thinking, that is my life. I, yeah. I have that <laughs> I have that essence within me. But I heard that for the first time in John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. I didn't hear that from the pulpit. And I just thought in my ignorance was like, wow, this, this guy's onto something. This Protestant really knows what he's talking about. But no, the church, everything I just stated, John Chrysostom brought up, I mean, the church has talked about that, um, you know, for, for centuries. Um, but I never heard about that. And I never, so I was never motivated. I was never inspired by, by homilies to, to identify myself as a man and what that means. So I looked at the world. I looked at the world and what they offered and how I could get ahead in success and that I had a natural ability because of my um, masculine nature, I now understand, to focus more intentionally to do better in school, primarily because I could stick with a problem much longer than the average individual. Again, all traits about me being a man, but I wasn't ever shown how to use those for God or how to use those for good, um, not how to use those personally for self-gain. And really, that's what we're getting on here. And so and by way of shifting, I want to talk about 
that, what I'm just getting to, before we get to fatherhood, we have to understand what it means to be a man and what it means to be a man from becoming a boy and then becoming a brother mm. and then becoming a man and then becoming a husband and then becoming a father. If we don't become a man um, or un- identify that uh, before we become a husband or father, what do we get? We get, you know, um, children without real dads. We get, uh, uh, you know, a, a society, uh, a fatherless society you know, to be honest, because men don't understand what they need to take upon themselves. And you mentioned sacrifice, Devin, and that really just inspired me because I remember the first time I read this, and this is by way of of transition here, um, of learning how to sacrifice and what it meant to die to yourself. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we have that great quote by St. Ambrose, where he states that man is rightly called a king who makes his own body an obedient subject, and by governing himself with suitable rigor, refuses to let his passions breed rebellion in his soul, for he exercises a kind of royal power over himself. And because he knows how to rule his own person as king, so too does he sit as its judge. He will not let himself be imprisoned by sin or thrown headlong into wickedness. And it's that last there, imprisoned by sin. I never realized that sin was a bondage that was holding me down and that there are sins that men are far more prone to, ones that we've been bringing up here on the talk, right? Lust of the eyes, you know, these sort of things that that really... Um, uh, the fem- anti-feminist movement understood, you know, that this is how they can get men with these sins. And um, and I never understood that. I never understood custody of the eyes, et cetera. And so um, I think that this is what we need to start at. We need to start helping men understand what it means to be a man as a son of God in the image and likeness of God, separate from what it means to be a woman. Yeah, and I think this is essential because in the past, um, manhood was kind of taken for granted. It was something that was handed down as a tradition culturally. Um, And every young boy wanted to be a man as soon as possible. You know, he wanted to join this kind of exclusive club of manhood. And so there was this drive from very early on, like, I want to do manly things, things that I see other men doing. And it was kind of taken for granted that this was just what boys wanted to do. They wanted to grow up um, and and that, you know, the, the traditions, the rights, the cultural expressions of manhood were just kind of there. They were handed down from century to century. So it was kind of this implicit taken for granted reality. And I think as we've kind of gone in the modern world following, you know, maybe the Industrial Revolution, you could point to different points in human history. But I think the Industrial Revolution really was a turning point because it fundamentally changed the way uh, a man worked and also changed his relationship to the home life um, in a way that we had never really seen before in human history. Um, And it kind of eroded, you know, those, those cultural traditions around manhood. But, but second, like, you know, the, the two world wars were, I don't want to underestimate how pivotal those were as well in kind of destroying the traditions around manhood where you have sometimes like, um, you know, a large majority of the male population um, eradicated in in a war, like almost a whole generation wiped out, maybe not totally, but almost completely, you know, hundreds of thousands of young men killed. And it's like, there's like traumas to this tradition of manhood. And then coming out of that and going into the sixties, you know, it's cultural revolution and everything's turns on its head. Um, and, And so, so maybe in the past, maybe like, 
you know, uh, 1450 or something, you don't have to give an, uh, a homily on what it means to be a man, you know, but in, in the 21st century, this thing that was taken for granted and this whole tradition, this stream of masculine tradition has been completely interrupted and destroyed. And so what was formerly unnecessary is now necessary, you know, and if you look at the heresies of the past, they were very frequently theological. And I'm, that's not to say that we were completely out of the woods there either. But if you look at the heresies of today, they're very much anthropological. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts with the human level, where it's like the devil wants to sow confusion about what it means to be human. Um, and that's why our, our little motto here on Catholic Gentlemen, be a man, be a saint, is so essential because, you know, grace perfects nature, right? But if you destroy nature... There's nothing for grace to perfect. And so the, the devil's kind of like gone from assaulting the order of grace through these various theological heresies. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to assault nature now. Like I'm going to deny that nature even exists. You can be whatever you want to be. Your nature is malleable, you know, like. Um, and, and so when that's assaulted, like, and when, in, when there's confusion about even biological reality, um, you know, that the disorder spreads all the way through the order of grace as well. Um, so what we're really looking at in our time is we have to get back to these fundamental realities of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human male or a human female? And it's like, we almost have to get back to these basic, basic building blocks of just biology. Like yeah. what, how, how are, you know, men's brains, different than a female brain they are different how are a man's body different than a female body and what does that mean and i, I think that's what saint john paul ii was calling us to in this theology of the body was he was like let's just look at the basics like the basic phenomenology of what it means to be a human being because we can't really go into these other essential realities until we've established that fact so so yeah father is like maybe it seems silly like do we really need to address basic biology and, and what it means to be masculine, what it means to be a male human being from the pulpit? Yeah, you do, because those basic realities have been completely obliterated in our culture and nothing, nothing can be taken for granted anymore. We really have to start at ground zero and rebuild our way back to health and holiness and wholeness from the ground up, because, you know, it's just that's the reality of the culture that we live in. Yeah, that's powerful. The anthropological perspective on this is huge. And you were right, uh, St. Pope John Paul II, in his Theology of the Body, he revealed, or at least, you know, proposed the idea that the body expresses the deeper most essence of the human being. So we can look at a female body and we can look at a male body and we can obviously see that they're different, which means that even though men and women are comprised of the same stuff, body and soul, there, there's a, there's an ontological difference. There's a difference in their mode of being and it has reflected in the body. And so what does this mean? You know, woman, she bears life to the world, right? And without woman, there is no life. There is, there is no fruitfulness physically. But on the other hand, without a man penetrating, without a man initiating that gift of self-giving uh, self love in the sexual intercourse, there is no life. So what do you have here? The body reflects the deeper most 
essence of that man. And what is it? His body tells us that he is called to set the pace of self-giving love. He's called to go forth from himself and to sacrifice himself for the sake of the well-being of woman, for the child, for the for not only procreation, but for salvation. Because whenever a, a soul, is, whenever a person is created, a soul is created. God is placing a soul in that body and that soul is destined for heaven. And so the man, he is called to go forth from himself and set the pace of self-giving love. And I think if you could boil down what it means to be a man down to one thing, this is it. It's reflected in his body. He is called to go forth from himself, initiate that self-giving love, that sacrifice, that self-donation in an ongoing way to protect the dignity of woman, to uphold her dignity, and to create that dance of love between he and her and the family. And when this happens, my experience is knowing many men who do this, my experience is when they do that, their marriages are incredible. Their families are incredible. It's not perfect, but it's so much better than what the world offers. Yeah. I want to just jump in there and and in agreement say that when grace perfects nature, it starts making all of those other homilies more profound and 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 makes them you know connect the dots all the more right so when i hear uh growing up that without christ you could do nothing when i hear that you know grace you are dependent on grace for all things it makes me feel kind of worthless it makes me feel kind of like i'm incapable and not um yeah have no you know agency of my own um when in fact it's that grace perfecting nature when i understand and i hear these things like both of you talking it's just you know that that excitement within me again is that yes that's exactly it Men do have more or less connective tissue between their right and left brain. Um, you know, when I hear you, Devin, talking about the fact that um, our our ontological reality, right? Because frankly, when you're growing up and it is all about the material, it's all about the, the sexual, if you will, we can't better understand that. So when we look at uh, a 25-year-old newly married and we look at an 83-year-old couple that has been married for 55 years, you know, it's just, it's hard. Well, how are they, how is he more masculine than than these, this couple that's obviously giving life and, and, and you know, procreating and active it because we've we've reduced it so much to the material world and we don't have that ability to, to dive deeper. Well, we do have that ability, but we haven't been granted that or guided that way through through the um, the message from the pulpit to better understand those things. And so then when you see the 83-year-old couple that has, I don't know why I chose that number, by the way. Yeah. It just popped <laughs> in my head. When you see that couple that has children and grandchildren and you see the depth of their love and the fact that they might not be engaging in the conjugal act anymore, but they love each other in a way that is so much more profound and so much more in line with the love of God for humanity, um, it it brings out an essence of mankind that John Paul II was able to to bring to us. And like I was saying, it starts connecting the dots of what all of this means our lives here as men. Well, the greatest man who ever lived on this earth never had sexual intercourse, Jesus Christ. And yet on the cross, naked, without shame, mind you, he donated himself to humanity to set the pace of self-giving love for the bride so that she would respond. And for the last two millennia, she has been following that pace of self-giving love. She wants to give herself back because he has given himself fully for her. And this is what happens in marriage, by the way. When you get a man who sets a pace of self-giving love, she wants to reciprocate. She wants to give back. She wants to, she wants to make him feel as though he is the man he is. 
while we're at that time in the episode where we get to answer a question from a listener each week. And so I want to start and say that if you have a burning question, if you have something that's been on your heart that we haven't touched on, or maybe we've touched on, but you want us to go deeper, send that question to us at podcast at catholicgentleman.com. So that's podcast at catholicgentleman.com. We are taking a look at those questions. We are reading through them or listening through them. I'd love it if you sent an audio recording of yourself so that we can play it live here on air and answer it. Um, But yeah, if you have one of those, definitely send it over there. So today's question comes from Richard, and we're going to listen to that right now. How do you stay holy and at peace at work when you are surrounded by so many distractions and gossip? And even though I don't participate in gossip, just being surrounded by negativity affects my spiritual life. So yeah, this is a really great one. Uh, This is the one on gossip. It's actually not an easy one. And so I'd actually like to start by kind of leading the answer to this. But first, with the understanding of I'm speaking what I myself am working on. And I think that's really important. I'm very grateful for you to bring this up uh, to our attention, this issue of gossip, but more importantly, this issue of other people who are engaging in gossip, who are engaging in sin, who are engaging in, in a very negative behavior and how it affects you. I really like the fact that you said how do you maintain your peace? Because actually that's what I was um, immediately thinking of is, is we're losing our peace from those around us. And I think there's a principle here that we have to understand. And that principle is that there's two parts. We have to desire what is good, what is righteous, what is just in a way that is also good, that is also just, and that is also filled with the will of God. And so if I break those down, you're desiring something good. You're desiring something righteous. You're desiring something just. You don't want them to keep sinning. Um, And uh, and that is great. And we should all want that. We should want that for ourselves, but definitely for everybody else around us. But it's this issue right here, the second issue, and desiring it in a way that is also good. Because I think very frequently, we want to see things done like that. We want to see other people respond and change and transform their way of thinking, doing, and living um, as fast as we're trying to do that, not mindful of where they're at in their lives and in their journey. And I just like to bring this up because I do think it's really important that if you are desiring a transformation in somebody else that is not filled with peace, that is not filled patiently, that is not filled with detachment, from how they are uh, responding and how they are changing or an abandonment to God's will or a confident abandonment to God's will, we're missing the mark. And this is something, like I said, speaking to myself is very frequently the case. So in that situation, I would encourage you to constantly turn inward and discerning, what am I doing to maintain my peace, to be patient and to turn to God and his will for these situations? Now, that being said, some practical advice, right? Have those little, I think of that in my brain, have those little comments like, oh, that sounds really horrible. It sounds like they need prayers. We should pray for them. Like that's usually a trump card that works pretty well. (laughs) Have the situation in your mind of what are you going to say? What are the three or four things that you go to to remove yourself from those situations? Because they are toxic, right? They are toxic and you understand your limitation, which is also a great thing. 
So, but, but finally, all the saints that I can think of are constantly encouraging when we are desiring the change of others, we are trying, desiring the transformation of others. We must do so with what's best for them, but also detached and in uniformity with, with the will of God, which can be so hard to do. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I think that's a great perspective on it is to not expect something from someone that they can't give, you know? Um, I think that's, that really works well with the whole idea. He, I, he's, he said, how do I stay holy? You know, amidst yeah. the negativity, the gossip. It, uh, so not that he's saying this, but I think that sometimes we can get the idea that holiness is an absence of temptation, but actually as St. Augustine says, salvation, our salvation is worked out by means of temptation. And the fact that, well, if you look at Jesus precisely after God says, this is, you are my beloved son with you. I'm well pleased. He, send him to the desert to be tested. And so God must really trust you because he's placed you in a place. He's placed you in the desert, a place of great temptation where you're on the front lines. And this is not going to go away. Mm. <laughs> this is not going to go away. I've had so many jobs in the corporate world. And, and in fact, in the Christian world, and I, I worked for a Christian company for years and, and it does not go away. So, so understand then that this is, you know, it's like, you know, what do they say? It's like water on the rock, you know, that water can either form you or, you know, it's like, or it's like water on sand. It can, the sand can get washed back with the water. Let that form you. But I think more, I think more importantly than just understanding that, look, holiness comes by means of temptation, not absent of it. I think just be prepared. Know that when you're going into work, you're going into battle. So if you're not spending 30 minutes with our Lord in the morning, and you're not actually meditating on who he is, you know, like, like, for example, Jesus before Pilate, I love that. He doesn't say a word really, you know, and, and the elders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're just accusing him left and right. And he says nothing, you know, well, I think we want to be like that. Right. So meditate on Christ's life. Talk to him about the struggles you're going to have. Spend 30 minutes with him on your way to work, pray the rosary because that binds Satan. But then after work, I think it's really great to just kind of decompress with the Lord. Just spend five minutes before you start that engine and just say, Lord, this is what's happened today. I give it all to you. But I think if you just really want to boil it down to three practicals, it's remove, resist, and then confront. So if you're in the situation at work and someone's gossiping or being highly negative, just remove yourself from that situation. Okay. If you can't remove yourself from that situation, then just resist the temptation to chime in. Okay. And this is going to speak mm -hmm. by saying nothing. It speaks volumes to everyone around you. When everybody else is gossiping and you're not participating, people are kind of looking at you like, wait a minute, he's different, you know? And then if you can't just resist without being called into it, then you got to confront the temptation head on. And that means you're going to have to confront the person. And and I think that this is important. When we talk about confront, we're saying with a front, you know, when you got two storm systems, a cold front and a hot front coming in, those two fronts collide, there's going to be a storm, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, so if you're going to end up getting in a confrontational situation, just make sure that you're doing it charitably. Okay. But I think that the first remove yourself, resist the temptation. And then if you have to, you're going to have to confront it. But I think a great way to confront is the way that the Lord does. Our Lord, whenever he besides with the Pharisees and maybe sometimes with the disciples, but always with sinners, it's twofold. He chides and corrects, but he always gives encouragement and hope. 
And so you could say to someone, if you're actually having to confront them, say, look, you know what? You've got so much to offer to this company. You're super talented. Why do you let this negativity get you down? You, you could be so much more if you just avoided this, you know? Um, I think that ways like that, and like John said, to really think that out and think of those strategies of how you say, but one thing I did early on was when I was working, I brought in my prayer cards. I had my Bible. I had my crucifix in the wall in my office and there was no mistake that I was the freaky Catholic guy. Okay. <laughs> and so then people would come into my office and they would be so mad and they would shout out explicitives. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. You know? And so like, yeah. there's a certain deferential reverence that people will give, even if they're not believers, if you are in a sense outspoken visually about where you stand with the Lord, people will respect that at some level. So I think more, more important than anything is just come in there with your game on. You have prepared with the Lord. The Lord is in you. You've got your stuff that says I'm with the Lord. And then you can resist, remove, you know, and confront and yeah. it'll go a long ways. Amen. Yeah, and, and I definitely agree with all those perspectives. I won't really uh, add anything to those. But what I, I would say is see it as a spiritual exercise. Um, and one way to really see how growth can occur in moments like this is by turning the lens on yourself and saying, what is this calling forth from my soul? Because you said it was affecting your life spiritually. So what does that mean? Is it leading you into anxiety? Is it leading you into anger? depression, you know, fear, like what is coming forth in your soul in response to this? Because, you know, it, that can show you where the work lies inside. So if it's like, if it's anger, uh, what well, what is that telling you? Why are you angry right now? You know, is it because they're talking negatively about someone and it's unjust? So is it an unjust anger like that? Does it remind you of a moment when perhaps you were the object of gossip? And it brings forth those painful memories, you know, and, and anxiety, like same thing. Like, why is it making you anxious? And really start to see what's going on in your own soul in response to this. And it can show you, like, maybe I need to grow in trust. Maybe I need to forgive someone. You know, there's all kinds of spiritual work that can come out of how you're responding to this situation. So I would just invite you to, like, examine that. Uh, because not everyone responds the same way to different situations and, and it may be affecting your spiritual life, but how, um, and, and maybe you're, maybe it is temptation, but maybe it's, you know, anxiety or anger. So, so just examine that. Um, and also know that we often tend to reject in other people what we reject in ourselves. Yeah. So if you're angry about their judgment, judging someone else, look in your own heart. Maybe there's a judgmental part of yourself that you're rejecting and maybe there's something that the work that needs to be done there. So I would just invite you to look at this in a little bit deeper level rather than thinking about how can I make this go away? How can I make this stop? Which may not actually be possible. I would invite you to instead look inside and say, how can I grow spiritually? How can I undo some of the knots in my own soul with God's help and bring these things to prayer? And, and and just examine your heart and see uh, what God might reveal to you, what the Holy Spirit might reveal to you as you examine yourself. Yeah, I agree. Well, Sam and Devin, thank you so very much. I think those are all great answers. And Richard, thanks so much for sending us that question. 
Hello, gentlemen. Sam Guzman, the founder of The Catholic Gentleman. As some of you know, I've spent the last four years on a journey to become a mental health counselor. Why? Well, there's a huge mental health crisis in the world today, and yes, even in the church. Men especially are suffering with rates of suicide, addiction, depression, anger, anxiety, and relational problems reaching unprecedented rates. Four years ago, I felt the call from God to launch out and help in a more concrete way. After graduating from Divine Mercy University, I began working full-time in the mental health field, and the 3,000 hours of supervised practice needed for my counseling license are nearly complete. In a providential twist, I expect to receive my counseling license on December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Thanks be to God. Once I receive my license, I feel called to launch a private practice to begin helping as many as I can. But starting a private practice involves startup funds for things like office space, liability insurance, and more. But I'll be honest, the last few years of this career transition have been extremely difficult financially, and I need your help to get off the ground and get my private practice started. If you believe in supporting the work of Catholic Counseling, please consider supporting my GoFundMe to help launch my private practice. You'll find the link to the GoFundMe in the show notes. Please click through. Thank you for your support, and God bless you. So now is the time in the episode where we discuss the challenge for the week, or putting on the new man. And I I want to lead this challenge this week with a quote that came out of the Catholic Gentleman Plus. So there's daily quotes that come out if you're a member of the Catholic Gentleman Plus. And it's by Cardinal Henry Edward Manning. And he said, next to grace, time is the most precious gift of God. Yet how much of both we waste. Time is full of eternity. As we use it, so shall we be. Every day has its opportunities. Every hour, its offer of grace. And I've reflected on that and I'm going to keep reflecting on that. But for the challenge this week, um, for putting on the new man, I want you guys to pray the rosary daily. Um, uh, that is the challenge for the entire month of October. This is the month of the rosary here. I don't know if you didn't know that, but in the church's calendar and her wisdom, October has been declared the month of the rosary. And I really encourage you to pray the rosary daily uh, as we finish out this month and as we go into the Feast of All Saints and the Feast of All Souls Day that we are about to celebrate on November uh, 1st and November 2nd, that carry through and, and turn to prayer. Give this time to God. Give that 20 minutes to pray the rosary. Uh, try and do it with your family. If you've never done it with your family, maybe this is not the week to try and do it with your family. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you need to pray about that in the rosary. I'd encourage you to pray for the church, though. Pray for our priests. Pray for that which we've been talking about uh, throughout this episode. Uh, there's just so much need, and the rosary can prevent or can prevent so much um, harm to the church and, and and wickedness to enter in, as well as so much protection that the the church and that we as men are um, in need of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a deceptively simple prayer, but there's great depth there and great power there. You know, many of the saints call it, you know, a sword. Um, and uh, I think it was Blessed uh, Delinda Rotolo, I, I think it was, but he compared it to like a machine gun with like each Hail Mary <laughs> being uh, a bullet. And I love that because it's like a modern metaphor for the rosary, but it's always considered like a weapon, right? Like it's always a weapon against the forces of evil. So take up that challenge. You'll be amazed at the graces that begin to flow and, and the miracles that might happen in your life uh, as you pray the rosary. And even if that doesn't happen, like it's still an incredibly beautiful prayer that brings you into communion with Jesus and Mary and um, really the whole 
uh, order of grace. So, so definitely do that and know that we will be doing that as well. Yeah. And I just think, you know, ask our lady, you know, it's about relationship, you know, I mean, rules are the service of relationship devotions are the service of relationship. And so we're praying the rosary because we want to have a relationship with Mary, but Mary wants to cultivate and foster a relationship with Jesus Christ, the son of God, who she has a perfect relationship with. And so we just ask her to take us by the hand and, and draw us into this mystery that's revealing her son more to us, because there's really only two objects in a sense of prayer. You know, I mean, yes, there are all sorts of motivations while we pray, but really the first one is to know Jesus, to know who he is, to know his from the interior to the exterior, why he does what he does. And the second is that we may be like him to do what he's done. And Our Lady is perfect at that. She can show us how to do that. And so the rosary is so powerful. I've learned more from praying the rosary about the scriptures and about the those mysteries, which are all in the scriptures about Christ's life than probably from anything. I mean, the rosary has been a very powerful tool inviting me into the life of Jesus Christ. So yeah. Go for it, you know? Thanks be to God. Well, we encourage you all men to put on the new man and to be the man that the world needs and that your family needs and that others need. And so uh, finally, if you made it this far, congratulations. Thank you. And I will say that we, I want to make a note to everybody that uh, the November 1st through November 8th is the plenary indulgences of all souls. Uh, So every single day that you and any of your buddies or your family that you can take with you to a graveyard, uh, you pray at a gravesite for the souls in purgatory for the intentions of the Holy Father, um, can receive a plenary indulgence, not for you, but for a soul in purgatory. And so I love this tradition. I'm just going to throw out here too. You can go eight times and do that eight times, one for each day. Or if you miss a couple of days, that's okay. You know, go there as frequently as you can. Bring your family with you. I love it. Uh, I've got my family with uh, seven. And so we'll go and we'll just, you don't have to get out of the car. You can just go into the car. Um, but uh, it's such a great uh, um, gift of, of the church and something that we as men should be turning to. So, well, Sam, Devin, thanks so much for joining me. This has been great. Yeah, thank you, John. And as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint.